Mark chapter 4. I'm going to pick it up at verse 35, just six verses. I'm going to read together. Uh, you may have heard the story before, but uh, by God's grace, there'll be fresh insight and uh, encouragement for us all this morning. Mark 4, starting at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's God's word. Um, we've been, we've been uh, just reading together today of this tremendous show of power and authority Probably, probably the biggest show of power and authority so far in the Gospel of Mark that we've been studying together as a, as a church community. Uh, but Jesus never does anything for his own sake. There's always, there's always instruction there. There's always reason. And, and what he's doing here, and what he'll be doing for us this morning, is showing his disciples more of his identity, revealing more of himself. And, and he's saying to them, look, with the resources I have to give you, I can, I can pull you to safety. I, I, I can take you through the greatest storms of life. Come to me, says Jesus. I'll rescue you. I'll save you. I, I can do it. So that's what we see in this section here. And, and Jesus uh, never gives the entirety of Revelation at one point. He, he, because you know, his disciples can't take it. We can't take it. But he, give, he gives bits and, uh, and increases that and opens their minds even more progressively, more and more and more opens them. And yet every time a new door is opened into who Jesus is, it is remarkable. It is amazing. It is incredible. And we see that here. Um, so, so what we see today, we're going to think of this passage under three headings. Uh, the first thing is that Jesus, number one, is present in the storm. The second thing is Jesus is powerful over the storm. And the third thing is that Jesus is proclaimed by the storm, right? So he's present in the storm, powerful over the storm, and proclaimed by the storm. Um, we, we saw last week that, that Jesus was teaching. He was teaching probably all day, um, all about the kingdom of God. And we, we've seen that, haven't we? The, the seed and the, 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 uh, the mustard seed growing and, and the scattering of the seed. And Jesus is teaching, teaching, teaching. Crowds come, and he ministers to them, and no doubt heals kills many people. And it seems that Jesus intended to continue. Uh, when we get back to, to the, the narrative again next week in the beginning of chapter 5, they, they appear at the other side of the lake and Jesus continues his teaching and his ministry. He wants to continue. And, and it was his idea to, to take this, this boat ride uh, across to the other lake in order to um, continue his ministry. In fact, right at the beginning, Mark 1:38. Um, his disciples wanted him to stay and, and, and appear to the crowds in one particular town. And Jesus said, no, I've got to move on. I've got to go to the other towns so that I might preach the good news to them too. And so we see this throughout Jesus' ministry, moving around, teaching so that more and more towns uh, and villages and peoples will hear about the kingdom of God. That's why I came, said Jesus. So after a busy day of teaching, Jesus intended to go on to another part uh, across the lake of Galilee. 
a huge lake uh, in the middle of Palestine. And it says, on that day, evening had come. Right? So it's the end of the day, and it was starting to grow dark. Uh, the sun was starting to set. And presumably, as they all hopped into the boat, at this particular moment when Mark picks up the story, they were a good way out. Uh, they'd already traveled out from the coast. There was no uh, land near them that there would be any help in this situation. And, and it says that in verse 37, a great windstorm arose. Uh, it turns out that the Sea of Galilee itself, where all this was taking place, is below sea level, um, quite, quite deep below sea level, uh, and it sort of forms a bit of a, a bowl, I suppose, in the, in the earth. And uh, surrounding it, particularly in the north and the west, are sort of mountainous regions, and so it was not unheard of uh, for storms to suddenly appear, almost out of nowhere, just break very suddenly upon uh, this area here in Galilee. Uh, because of the conditions and the geography. But anyway, uh, they were in the boat, Jesus with his disciples, um, and it says there the waves were starting to break into the boat. Right? This is a serious storm. Uh, waves started to fill the boat. The boat was at risk of being swamped, and they're out in the middle of the lake, or probably not, you know, not far from the middle of the lake. There's nothing to grab hold of. There's no harbor in sight. They're at real risk of perishing in the sea. And don't forget, some of the disciples that, that followed Jesus, the 12, uh, were experienced fishermen. So no doubt they had seen storms in their time, doing their, their trade on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, no doubt they were competent to a certain extent to deal with uh, ferocious weather conditions when it hit them. But there's something about this storm that just took them presumably by surprise, it fell on them almost out of nowhere. And, and no doubt the, the, uh, those in the boat, the disciples, tried everything they could, uh, hoisting the sails, removing the sails, putting out the oars. They would have had oars they could row, trying to row against the great winds, evidently to no avail. They would have had weights and ballasts, perhaps they could move around to sort of balance the boat out, or maybe even remove them entirely so the boat would be lighter. Everything they tried, nothing worked. And you could just imagine, perhaps, uh, the scene on the little boat itself. The boat itself would be uh, probably about 20 or 30 feet long, uh, enough for about 15 people uh, to uh, go about their trade on the boat. But all of them there uh, in absolute pandemonium. Um, I've, I've had a few choppy landings in Belfast City International. Maybe you have experienced something similar as well, particularly on the old Flybe propeller planes. You know, there's one or two times when I've come in sideways, I'm pretty sure. And um, yet every time, by the grace of God, the thing seems to land and everybody can breathe a sigh of relief. There's just something about coming in, isn't there, off of the, the Belfast lock and the, the wind and the way it just suddenly whips up uh, just like that. But my tip to you, if you ever find yourself in that position in a propeller uh, plane coming into the land of the Belfast City uh, Airport, look at the flight attendants uh, because they know a thing or two. And, and usually what happens is when the plane is going sideways and it's bumping and jerking and you're just about to come into land, uh, they're often sat there strapped in, chatting away as if they're sat in Starbucks. You know, there's nothing phasing them at all. So my tip is look at them. If they look peaceful and chilled out and calm, you can be peaceful and chilled out and calm. But if they start to look a bit nervous or edgy or start talking on that phone thing that they have or, or maybe one of them scurries off to the, the cabin to speak to the captain, that's when you should start praying. Because if they're nervous and they know a thing or two, then you get nervous too. 
And so when Peter and John and, 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 uh, and, and uh, the other fishermen there, they were clearly beside themselves here. When they're nervous, you get nervous. We're all nervous in this boat together with Jesus. Great panic. And let's face it, what else, how else would you react in the face of imminent death and drowning? It's terrible, isn't it? Uh, we'd all be pretty, um, pretty anxious ourselves. But then contrast Jesus in verse 38. Where is he? What's he doing? It says, Jesus, in verse 38, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. He's asleep. This thing's about to go down, right? There's water literally filling the boat. And where is Jesus? He's asleep in the stern. Uh, most likely, the, the, air, the, air, also the air right at the front of the boat, but it would have been covered by a short uh, platform. Uh, so often under there would be um, just an area that you could go um, to... to you know, just have peace or whatever it happened to be. Anyway, it was under there, under some cushion or other. Maybe that cushion itself was like a weight to keep the, the front of the boat down that they would have had at those times. Anyway, there he was, asleep. I mean, you just couldn't get a stronger contrast, could you, between him and then everybody else losing the plot on the boats. In fact, it's interesting, you know, this is the only place in the scripture where Jesus is portrayed as being asleep. And he's in the middle of a storm. I think that's significant. I think it's important. Was he exhausted? So exhausted uh, that he just slept through the storm? Maybe he was. He'd been teaching all day, and it's exhausting. I, I myself, as Marion knows, I love a little uh, Sunday night, Sunday afternoon nap after a preach. Uh, this is after a half an hour preach. Jesus was at it all day and probably for days at a time, teaching, uh, preaching, healing people. They just would not leave him alone. He was probably exhausted. But the thing here that I find utterly remarkable, and I hope you see it too, is that Jesus somehow or other, we don't know how, well, we do, he has profound peace. Um, it seems to be that he has discerned a source of peace that comes into him beyond his circumstances. It's almost like Jesus could see how this was going to end up, or he had a peace that went beyond what was happening at this present stage. It seems like even this storm that he was in right now was not enough to disturb him from his sleep. Back to the disciples in verse 38. They go to Jesus realize he's asleep and they say teacher do you not care that we're perishing they seem pretty ticked off do they not um, as, as you would expect angry don't you care come on get up don't just lie there get up and help us that's how that's how desperate people talk right they come across sometimes rude and aggressive because they're desperate we, jesus come on we need you to do something um, it's not obvious, is it, from the words, whether they expect him to get up and do a miracle or whether they just expect him to get up and, 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 and lend a hand on deck, start getting this water out, start taking one of the oars. Come on. Such a contrast. But yet the same storm, right? They're all in the same boat, the same challenges, the same opposition, and yet radically different reactions to what's going on. So let's, let's, let's turn the focus to ourselves for a little bit um, this morning as we think about this and our reaction to what goes on in life 
Um, maybe you've never been in a boat that was threatened to go down and drown. Perhaps you have. Maybe you have. Or some similar situation. But for our purposes this, this morning, let's think of a storm as some situation or challenge in life that is completely out of your control and yet threatens to sink you. All right? So I'm not just talking about a difficulty or a stress in your life. Um, that's not a storm because often we can control those things. We can take, um, or we think we can, we can take mechanisms or, or do things that can sort of uh, mitigate some stress or some trouble in our lives. We think we've got it, we can handle it. But a storm is something that comes and you realize you are completely out of control. You can do nothing to affect the outcome of this storm on your own. That's what a storm is. You've tried everything and yet the storm is still battering you. That's a storm. So let's think together for a few moments. When something like that happens to you, how do you react when you're out of control? Sorry, when it is out of control, out of your control, how do you react? Because what we do and how we live during a storm, whatever it may be, whether we like it or not, does expose something very deep inside of us, right? It exposes some of the core parts of who we are. Because in a storm, the truth comes out. It reveals what we really like, what we really believe in. So think for a moment then about the last storm that you went through. Or maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe it's something that's presently facing you. And it can be great or small. It can be if you're in an ocean liner and it's about to be sunk or it might be something that no one else knows about or something you're struggling with privately but yet it's a storm you have no control over it and yet it threatens to swamp you how are you responding how have you responded have you tended towards the the reaction of the disciples which on one level is very understandable is it not responding with 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 panic and and fear and anxiety, because if I don't get busy or something doesn't happen here, then this storm's going to sink me. Do you tend towards that direction? Or do you tend towards what we see also taking place on the boat, under the stern? Do, do, do you find that you're able to rest? Uh, you, you can walk through a storm feeling composed somehow or other. Even though it's battering you, there is a deep sense within you that all will be well. That we'll get there somehow or other. Because it seems to be that when I look at this, either option is available to us. Do, do, do you feel like you have to go to Jesus and sort of wake him up and shake him and say, come on, Jesus, get up. Don't you care that I'm going through this? Come on, what are you doing? Or does his very presence with you in the storm build and add some form of bravery? Does it give you some sort of peace, some sort of balance? Jesus is present in the storm. But then we see the second part, Jesus is powerful over the storm. Okay, verse 39. It says he awoke, and what did he do? He rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, 
peace, be still. He, you know, he addresses the forces of nature as if they can hear him with a word. But what happens? He said these things and it says the wind ceased and there was great calm. He subdued them with a word. Peace be still. In other words, silence and settle down. That word be still literally means be muzzled. Shut your mouth. And the wind obeyed and suddenly it says there was great calm. It's interesting actually to me that this word rebuke, Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea. It's a word that's used when Jesus is dealing with evil spirits. All right? Uh, in, in, in chapter 1, 25, or chapter 3, verse 12, he's dealing with evil spirits. They're obstructing his ministry. They're trying to rob people of faith, and he rebukes them. And he says, be quiet. Shut your mouth. And it's the same word that we see here when he speaks to the wind and the wave. Likewise, in Luke 4, 39, when Peter's mother-in-law is sick from a fever, she wanted to serve Jesus and, and, and love him and care for him practically. She couldn't do that. There was obstruction happening. There was obstruction to the kingdom of God. And Jesus, it says, rebuked the, the fever within her and it, and it left. He rebukes the storm. He rebukes the evil spirit. He rebukes the fever. In effect, what he's doing is, is saying to hostile forces that are trying to oppose him and his mission, stop, be still, shut your mouth. And... What he says happens instantly. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, this, this idea of the raging seas, uh, this picture uh, was long understood by the people of Israel as, as, as a, a picture, a metaphor of, of uh, hostile forces in opposition to God and his people. And yet every time when we read about that in the Old Testament, it is God who is the one who rebukes the oceans. Do you remember when we were doing... Uh, uh, Zoom church, lockdown church, whatever you want to call it. And we, we considered Psalm 46 one Sunday. It's a famous psalm, right? And it, it starts like this. God is our refuge and strength. Do you remember that? A very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, he says, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at his swelling, be still and know that I am God's. That's what's happening here on Lake Galilee. Be still. The disciples frantically trying to save themselves, completely run out of options. Jesus standing there, commanding it, ending the storm, because he is powerful over the storm. Isn't this the kind of guy you want with you as you are going through the storm? They did nothing he did everything. Great calm came upon the lake. This is an amazing picture, is it not, of, of the gospel, of, of the, the great storyline of the Bible, how, how, how Jesus demonstrates his ultimate power, not just over wind and rain and, and the, the seas, but over all hostile forces. 
over all powers that come against him, all results of our sin and our corruption, all effects of human rebellion against the kingdom of God, Jesus is powerful over the storm. And in the gospel, much like the disciples, we're we're busy trying to save ourselves, left to our own. We're frantically running around trying to find peace and trying to find safety and and trying to find security and and freedom, trying to get through this, trying trying to be delivered. And yet it's getting us nowhere. And yet in the gospel, Jesus rose up to bring us to safety. He did what we could not do. How did he do that? On the cross, Jesus stood and he took the full force of the storm. He he took on the greatest enemies of sin and death and the devil. He took them on by himself. He turned and faced the storm on his own. He did what you could not do. That's the gospel. On the cross, Jesus battled those enemies, that storm, that, that, that raging hostility, he battled that on his own. And he took it down to the grave. These hostile forces that seek to destroy your life, your, your sins, your greatest enemies, Jesus killed them in his body on the cross. And yet he rose again on the third day with a cry of victory. Because it says that even death could not hold him down. And in his resurrection from the dead, Jesus rebukes the kingdom of darkness, the forces of rebellion, and he says to them through his resurrection, be still, silence, shut your mouth, lay down your weapons. He says, it is finished. Jesus has power over the storm. Therefore now, when we look at that, when we realize what he's done, then for us, there is no storm too great. Because Jesus has tackled it all. Amen? He has overcome everything. And so when when we see the message of Jesus in the gospel, when we receive that, when when we take it in and say, yes, you've done that for me, Lord Jesus, that then it'll utterly transform you. It does. You will, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, then you will say, look, now I see the greatest storm, the greatest enemy has been silenced by Jesus. Therefore, no storm that I go through will ever bring me down. Never. You'll start to notice, when you understand this, you will start to notice that there is peace in place of anxiety as you walk through the storm that will come your way. You will walk through the storm not in turmoil, but gradually and increasingly you will go through it with active calmness. Instead of panic and anxiety, scrabbling around to help yourself. When the the immensity of what Jesus has done in stilling the storm through his cross and resurrection, when that gets down into you, you will have peace. So go, meditate on that until you have that peace. Pray into that until you have that peace. Jesus will show you. So he's 
present in the storm. He's powerful over the storm. Thirdly and finally, Jesus is proclaimed by the storm. Right, the story could end there. And that would be awesome. Jesus calms the storm. Praise God. Amen. That's awesome. But that's not the end of the episode because, as I said to you, it's never just a sign of Jesus' power for the sign's sake. He always calls people to respond somehow. And, and we see that through his words, his interactions with the disciples. Not the end of the episode. In fact, he's not even done rebuking on that day because Jesus turns and rebukes the disciples. This, this jaw-dropping display of power that they've just seen, and yet for that moment, despite the amazing scenario that's just unfolded around them, they have no peace, they have no calm. In fact, Jesus sees in their eyes fear. In verse 40, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith and they were filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him they were filled with fear where, where, did, where was this fear from why were they afraid surely they should be dancing for joy this, this man has just saved our lives and, and the vessel and suddenly there's great calm shouldn't they be worshipping and full of joy no they're full of fear because not only have they seen this stunning power and Jesus authority on display but right there in that moment in that stillness the penny begins to drop right it started to hit home who they were dealing with even the wind and the seas obey him Creation itself obeys this guy in the boat. This man, who else can do this? Filled with a great fear. Wouldn't you be? Right, the miracles are pretty special that we've seen so far. There's no doubt about that. Um, he's been healing people by the dozen. He's been driving out demons from people oppressed by demons. But, but those things, they're, they're amazing, they're wonderful, they're incredible, right? But there are one or two people who sort of wander around who claim they can do similar things or have done similar things in the past. Okay, the amazing, the, the starkness, the, the frequency of which Jesus is doing it is incredible. And the disciples would have been familiar with wandering healers and magicians and all sorts of different people. But this, speaking to creation... God alone. Psalm 106, verse 9, I read it to you. It says, He, that is God, rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. And he led them through the deep as through a desert. Talking about the, 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 the people of Israel leaving Egypt, walking through the, the Red Sea. It was God who stopped the waters. And so this sudden, staggering, terrifying thought started to dawn on the disciples. God is among us. 
You know, the, the weight of this revelation was just pressing down heavy upon their hearts and their minds. Somehow or other, God has been in the boat with us. He, something has happened here. They could, they could feel it. They could sense the divine. And this evoked within them a fear, it seems, that was greater than the fear of the storm itself. All right? The fear of the divine being in the boat with us was greater than the fear of death on the, on the lake. God is among us. And right there in that moment, they began, began to be afraid of Jesus. About who he might be and, and the power that he has and, and what he might do to them with that power. And yet, let's just zone in for a second on the words of Jesus here in verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? All they'd seen and all they'd heard, and yet you still don't get it, do you? Says Jesus. Come on, you still don't believe me. Note here, Jesus does not say, Have you still no knowledge? Have you still no learning? Go back, play the recorder, open the scriptures, learn. No, he says, have you still no faith? It seems they'd heard about Jesus, they'd heard his words, they'd seen his actions, and yet they did not understand. There was a gap between their knowledge and what was fundamentally going on in their hearts. The truth that they had seen, the signs that Jesus had been doing, had yet to penetrate their hearts, the very inner core of their being. This is the staggering claim of the Christian faith, is it not? That in Jesus, God came among us. He was with us. In Jesus, the divine came down, heaven opened and came in the person of Jesus. At the same time, he's one of us. He's flesh and blood, like us in every way. And yet, at the same time, he is not like one of us. He is so unlike us. We can know him as a friend, as one person knows another. And yet he can command all of creation as Lord and God. We, we can relate to him like an older brother, and yet we must bow before him as our king. Jesus is proclaimed by the storm. There's a, a wonderful passage in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the classic story by C.S. Lewis. And the Pevensey children have, have entered Narnia for the very first time together as a group, and they met an individual called Mr. Beaver, and he was explaining to them the situation in Narnia. Why is it so cold? Um, of course, there was a curse on all of Narnia. They were in this eternal winter because the, the, the wicked witch had placed them under a curse. But, but as, as Mr. Beaver went on, but don't worry, because there comes one whose name is Aslan. He's Aslan the Great, the Lion. And he will come, and he will free us from the curse. And yet, as we'll see from this quote, there's a the mixed reaction to that news that Aslan is coming. 
They say that Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he's already landed, said Mr. Beaver. Now, a very, very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment that Beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it was, something that hap- it was like something that happens to you in a dream, that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels like it has some enormous meaning, either a terrifying one, which turns the whole night- dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could go back to that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan... Each one of the children felt something jump inside of them. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. Jesus is proclaimed by the storm. And the disciples were the first to be confronted with the reality of who he is. And and all people who hear of Jesus, who is God, must honestly consider, you know, who are honestly considering and investigating him, they're faced with this same challenge too. Jesus is proclaimed as God. And we're we're confronted by reaction. Either a sensation like the disciples of mysterious horror, or does the knowledge of Jesus being God with you make you strangely brave and adventurous? Is that news to you a source of great delight and hope? So Jesus says to us this morning, why are you so afraid? Have faith in me. I have taken you through the storm. Let's pray.